You see your party below engaging with the orc army. It's clear that without your help, they won't survive. But they're 20 feet below you, with no obvious safe, safe path down the cliff. Okay. Um, all right, well, I don't have any ranged weapons. Um, I don't know any magic. Uh, I guess I'm just going to jump off the cliff to go help them. I'm a pretty beefy barbarian. I think I could take it. All right. You throw yourself over the pre- precipice. Roll 30d10 damage. What? It's only 20 feet. Right here in the book, it says that that should be 2d6. Huh, huh. let me see that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's interesting. Roll 30d10 for damage. No, no, no. The rules say it's supposed to be 2d6. I am the rules. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about Is the DM really always right? Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And first off, welcome back to the show. I know we've been kind of off air for a couple of months and uh, really kind of went off the air without any sort of notice to anybody. Uh, Ends up that that when you're planning to move, it really is hard to record a podcast. so uh, for those of you who don't know me, I, uh, I ended up moving across the country to Oregon. And uh, once I got here, had to spend some time trying to find a place to actually record in the new house. As it is, I am currently set up on a bar cart facing some curtains in a dining room, um, Ooh, which I guess fancy. is an upgrade from the walk-in closet in our last house. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty fancy. <laughs> But um, we are uh, hoping to get everything back on track. Uh, With that in mind, we are always looking for suggestions on new topics and would love it if we had more topics suggested by our listeners. Uh, The last episode that we had was suggested by a listener. So your dreams can come true. If you've got that idea that you just want to hear somebody talk about, we would love to hear from you. We'll we'll, uh, put it on the list and get it recorded. So in order to let us know, uh, you can go to our website and click contact. The website is becomingdm.com. Uh, you can reach out via our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash becomingdm, or on, on Twitter, we're at becomingdm. So uh, feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Love to get your ideas on, uh, on new episode ideas so that we can get, get those into the list. Yeah, hear us have a, have a nice little chit-chat about it. So let's go ahead and, and jump right in. And when we talk, we're talking a little bit about if, if the DM is really always right. And really, it's getting down into um, changing the rules as a DM. And does it really make sense to do that? So if, if we, if we want to get like technical, let's start off in the technical space. Uh, if you look at the D&D DM's guide on page four, um, the, the rules themselves say... Uh, the D&D rules help you and the other players have a good time, but the rules aren't in charge. You're the DM, and you are in charge of the game. And I have to say, Danielle, this is actually one of the coolest parts of not only D&D, but other role-playing games, in, in my opinion, is that if you need to, you can change the rules. And it's it's a, it's a given thing. It's something that the, the game developers give you permission. Sure, people in their home make custom rules for their Monopoly game or whatever. But, <laughs> but this actually has not only guidance that, that 
you as the DM do it, but it also in that book gives you some examples of some things that you might want to consider for alternate ways of running the game. Absolutely. And that's, it is, it's my 100%, my favorite part about um, tabletop role-playing games in general. And that's like when you have any other type of tabletop game, like board games or card games, everybody's kind of either going against each other or collectively working together. And, but you have this gap with most role-playing games that I've experienced where you have somebody who's running the game. So it's like having your favorite video game. It's like having the developer of that video game like four steps ahead of you, hopefully. And they're just like programming like a whiz and you're like, I want to throw this cup. And they're just clacking away at their keyboard because you can do whatever you want because you have the developer, the dungeon master or the GM. What does GM stand for? Game, Game master. master. <laughs> it's like general manager. No. Um, <laughs> uh, but you have the, the, the guy right there, right? They've got, they've got all the tools that they need and that's what these books are. They're the tools to, yep. to build the game. But you're still the game builder. Yeah, and, and that's a way that I don't know that I've ever heard someone refer to it before as the, as the game developer playing the game with you. That's actually kind of a neat way to look at it. Um, <laughs> and, and, I mean, we're, we're kind of quoting the, the D&D Dungeon Master Guide, but most other role-playing games, whether they're Pathfinder or GURPS or whatever that's out there, um, they're going to have something very similar to this because they all kind of come from this same seed of it's this game that that you make your own and and the rules are here more like guidelines. Um, so, but but and so over the years that that's that terminology that that phrase in the DM's guide is has really gotten interpreted by many to be the DM is always right and. Mm. I, I think that one of the things that that kind of fails to take into account is, frankly, the next sentence in the book. And I'll, I'll go ahead. <laughs> I'll go ahead and read it to you. Um, Your goal isn't to slaughter the adventurers, but to create a campaign world that revolves around their actions and decisions, and to keep them coming back for more. And that last part is really important because if they don't keep coming back for more, what do you have? Uh, you have dead space. Is what you got. You got yourself sitting there with a bunch of books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bunch of books and a bunch of, you know, you, if you think that the amount of work that you put in as a DM right now, the players don't see, um, if they stop coming to the table, it's 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 a lot less that uh, people are going to actually see. But that's that's kind of the, the issue with the whole, you know, the DM is always right, is as much as you are the creator... Um, you can make whatever game that you want and you can, you know, run it however you want. But if you're, if the people who are attending your table are not having a good time, they're not going to come back, which means that you will not have a game to run. Yeah. And part of not having a good time could be that they never know what the rule is going to be because uh, as the DM, you keep on changing it on them. Like our, like our, uh, our player in the opener who was expecting 2d6 damage when, when they jumped off the cliff, but ended up with 30d10, um, <laughs> which is a significantly different amount of damage to take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that would surprise any beefy barbarian. Um, it would not be a happy amount of damage to take, especially when you consider that the actual rule is is a max damage of 20d6, because they're, like, they're terminal velocity. It's a thing, you know? Yep. 
And in D and D, it means that you can, if you're if you're beefy enough, you can survive any fall. <laughs> <laughs> Now, and, and I, you know, we talk about fall damage, but that is actually one of the things that I've heard people discuss about, hey, I really want to want to change this. And we'll talk about the reasons why you might want to change rules here in a minute. Um, for right now, we'll talk about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> so first off, we're going to talk about like when you shouldn't change the rules, because there are definitely certain instances where the rules in the book are going to be just fine for your use case. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Then we'll move a little bit into when you should change things up, because again, not every situation is going to be clear cut. Not every situation is going to be perfect. So we'll talk about why, uh, you, why you might want to look at changing the rules and then, um, Finally, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what role the players are going to play in all this. Because um, as we just said, if they don't understand what's coming down the line, it can really be um, off-putting. It can, it definitely stop, it can prevent them from coming back for more, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just sit at a table and roll a dice and then something happens. You don't know what's going to happen, but it would just be very confusing. <laughs> so the first the first thing that you mentioned was when you shouldn't change or create the rules right yep and the i can see that you got here never if you don't have to yeah and it's kind of like a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek because there's all sorts of rules in the game right (laughs) there's so many rules (laughs) (laughs) there are books i have an entire shelving unit full of the rules that being said, there are a lot of rules. Like I said, I do have a shelving unit, but a lot of that is from different systems. But if there's already rules that cover what you're talking about, then it might not make sense to uh, to make up your own house rules. Like for exhaustion, you know, it's you could generate your own table of those rules. But if you really don't need to, if it's not going to affect your game, um, you know, that drastically, then it might be wiser to just use the ones in the book. Yeah, I think that a good question to ask yourself is, is my time better spent creating more game or creating more rules in this instance? That's a very good point. Um, very good point. Because <laughs> as, as the DM, you only have so much time. And and if you're creating your own rules, you're, you're not just spending time creating those rules. There's this whole laundry list of things that you're also making sure that you have to do in the long run. Uh, and I know that we have a list here. I'll, I'll kind of let you go through there and I'll, I'll shut up for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when you're doing this, you have to keep in mind that if you're not making up a bunch of your own rules, and I was going to say nonsense rules, but I, I don't really like that. Um, if yeah, because they're not all going to be nonsense. Of, yeah, they're not all going to be nonsense. Some of them will make sense. Uh, but the more rules that you have, I mean, there's already books of these things. Um, every time you add or change things, you could have a player who's been playing D&D for 15 years. Well, not 15 with 5e, I guess five years. I'm not sure how long it's been out. But you've got somebody who's been playing it for five years. They know the book back and forth. And all of a sudden you want to rewrite the book. Well, it's going to be a lot more difficult for everybody to remember the rules, it's like especially yourself. Um, I know for myself, when I'm tracking things at the table, I got to track 
initiative and conditions and not only their stuff, their passive perceptions and all that, um, but I also have to track all of my own creatures, my monsters, the monsters that aren't in the room but might hear a sound. They mm-hmm. might come to the room. So I've got a lot of stuff. And to also try to remember that I've changed the rules on myself, you know, I've I've instituted this other subset of rules, um, I just feel like you could easily overburden yourself. Yeah, and if you think about it, I mean, you talked about playing games for five years, but it could also be as simple as your players are playing in two other games because they just mm-hmm. can't get enough D&D, and so they found two other games for because because your schedule didn't work out for them to play it every day of the week or whatever. Um, <laughs> so if, if you're playing multiple games at once, it can also be kind of difficult to keep track of what all of the rules are, which means that mm-hmm. that as a DM, you probably are going to have to document some of those, right? Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I just run one game right now, and the documentation that I already have is unwieldy, but I'm a paper person. <laughs> I love paper. I'll never go full digital. <laughs> I mean, some some people don't want to. That's fine. <laughs> I, I don't. I honestly don't think I can. I love I love the tactility of writing things down, but like you said, you're going to require um, whole other documents. Like if you're going to change a rule, if you're instituting a rule, um, like say we're changing fall damage, right? So if I have a player who's jumping off of a wall and I say you're taking 30 to 10 fall damage, I've obviously changed the rules for fall damage or I have some other very fantastically good reason why. Um, I need to write that down because if that is a part of the world that they're playing in, that needs to stand firm. Right. When you're creating a world in D&D, um, even though it's a fantasy world, you can aid the players in becoming invested in it by keeping it consistent, which keeps it believable. So if your rules are flip-flopping, I'm I'm not even saying rules, like your general physics. If your physics on the (laughs) planet are not set to some semblance of normalcy, even if it's just the semblance of normalcy for this particular planet, it still has to have something. And so you would have to document any of these rule changes and make sure, make 100% sure, um, unless, of course, magic, uh, to be consistent with them. Very, very consistent. Yeah, and I, I mean, you you want to document it not only for the current players, but if you have new people added to your game, maybe you've had somebody that left because of your crazy rules and you're trying to get somebody else to get in there. <laughs> uh, that new person is going to need to understand what those rules are as well. So either you have to document it darn good and, and make sure that, that you hand off the document to them to read before they get to the game, or you're going to have to spend some time once they start actually talking through, like, here's all the different rules and, or, or before they do something, you're going to have to hold on, hold on. Just so you know, this is what the rule for this is. Are you sure you want to do that? Which is kind of interrupts the flow of the game pretty badly. Yes, I really can. And just to speak to that, um, I learned to play on roll 20, so for other people who also play on Roll20, they have, they actually, every time you start a new game, it comes with its own forum, mm-hmm. uh, which I have never actually seen players use, unless <laughs> I made them. But I always post any of my rule changes or adaptations into the forum itself, so that it is available completely to all players at all times. Um, it helps me keep track of them as well. So just an awesome little pro tip. Yep. <laughs> pro tip. <laughs> 
Are, are we pro DMs now? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I felt full of myself when I said that. It's uh, <laughs> I like it. I think it's handy. Um, another thing that you have to pay attention to as far as when you shouldn't change or create rules is when you're playing a um, one of the campaign settings. So some campaign settings, uh, I don't know, I'm not familiar with the 5e campaign settings, but I know Dark Sun, I think, mm-hmm. was a pretty brutal campaign setting. Um, I've only got hearsay, but if if it's got a rule and it's known for this rule, for this, you know, uh, aggressive rule or whatever it is, um, changing that without all your players knowing about it is probably a very bad idea because when you bring to the table you say hey who wants to play this super greedy game and they've all read up on it and they know what to expect but then they show up and you're like jk jk the desert is full of unicorns and there is no fall damage <laughs> you know it's like what <laughs> yeah it like like re- re- uh, removing sanity rules out of some of the horror type things and stuff like that that mm-hmm. really add to that setting and 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 kind of hammer in that like this is where you're at and this is why you need to be concerned. Um, it can it can break that immersion as well if you're if you're not too careful. Absolutely could. Another reason to to kind of not think about changing the rules is if so if you decide that hey I need to change this rule even though I've I've already considered uh, what we've talked about so far. Uh, one reason you may, may may want to avoid it is if it's going to significantly alter uh, one or more character abilities, uh, especially if it's going to alter them adversely. But either way, honestly, could could come into uh, into a bad situation. Uh, so when when I talk about altering, so each each kind of class and subclass is going to have skills and abilities that have um, rules outside of that subclass that it relies upon to function. So uh, for instance, uh, uh, an example that I I like to come back to is um, if we talk about the rogue's reliable talent, where they can change a nine or lower roll to a ten, um, and if if you have, as a lot of people do, uh, determined that within your game that all nat one rolls for skill rolls are critical fails, you basically have have discounted a a fairly significant portion of the rogue's reliable talent basically they can't roll a one because it would then be a 10 Uh, but if you're saying that that hey anytime that that one comes up on the die it's it's a critical fail you could basically be breaking a a fairly significant uh feature of that of that class Mm -hmm. there's i find it one of the one of the most difficult things when you're implementing a new rule is really to consider all of the different characters, classes, abilities, all this stuff, because it all interacts with each other. And like the rogue's reliable talent, that's that's one where if you roll low, but then there's also, um, I shouldn't have started this sentence. I can't remember the, <laughs> the thing. But there's there's a lot of other things that could be affected by that because I know some people like to do the nat one as automatic failures, right? Yep. Um, Especially on skill checks. Well, sometimes there's a lot of discussion surrounding it. But <laughs> um, but you can really mess stuff up um, if you're not really paying attention. But that being said, if you do want to implement a rule like this, but you don't and you don't have any other class that's going to be impacted by it, you could you know add caveats to the rule if you need to. Something that uh, the rogue in your in your group might might agree to. Um, 
for me, one rule that I is is uh, critical hits, right? With mm-hmm. the with the nat. Or no wait, sorry, critical fails. Critical fails with with weapons. This is what I was talking about before is uh as in 5e, the fighters, they get so many attacks, right? Yep. And so they're rolling all of these attacks. Well, you're rolling you know, six attack die, 60 20 per round and your wizard is rolling one. Well, your fighter has a six times more likely chance to have um a nat one, right? Yep. And so depending on how you play with these rules things can get pretty wonky pretty fast yeah so if you're with the with the nat one on the combat um while nat one is is a is a critical miss where you automatically miss uh i i think what you're talking about is is like adding stuff in like the the critical fumble tables where maybe somebody can break Mm -hmm. a weapon or something like that which you're right it, it it could um adversely impact those those um those martial classes that get multiple attacks in a round because instead of having a one in 20 shot of, of doing something like breaking your weapon, it's now like a one in four because you're, you're, you're rolling five times in a, in a round or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, though it, it, you, you do need to understand what the impact is beyond just this one decision because, um, when they when when Wizards of the Coast and originally Gygax and Arneson and whoever else wrote the rules, they spent a lot of time trying to figure out how these interactions happened. Um, mm-hmm. So they probably would have play tested it a lot. Yeah. Um, so you you want to you want to really be careful when when it comes to that. Understand what the impact is. Mm-hmm. You you know what I like to do with the nat ones for the fighters. My favorite thing to do is uh, is to, to not count it as a total failure unless it's the very last attack of their round. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, I count it as weapon damage. So your weapon slowly degrades over time. Yeah. Um, I think it's fun. <laughs> as long as it's something that they can repair. Yeah, and they can repair it, and then they, you know, it adds to some, it gives some RP op- opportunities later on in the in the session, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do have to watch when you're changing how combat works and how spells overall can work. Um, it could have an impact on breaking a lot of the different classes. And it's, and it's something that you really have to think about when you're installing a new rule. And be prepared when you do install a new rule that uh, you could have, you, you think that you thought of everything. And then your player's like, nope, but I've got this rock. And it doesn't work now because of what you said. And uh, you might have to adjust. Yeah, and so if you and we're going to talk about when you should change the rules, but if you do start changing the rules, you need to you need to be able to be flexible and and if you encounter one of those situations, make a at the very least a temporary ruling until you can more adequately consider it and go from there. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that, that about that in a minute. Have you ever finished running a session of your favorite role-playing game and thought to yourself, I'm not really sure I ran that the right way? Or maybe you just tried out something new in your game and it worked really well and you want everybody to know about it. If so, you may have the perfect idea for a future episode of Becoming DM. Point your browser to becomingdm.com ideas and fill out our simple form to tell us all about it. 
You can even let us know that you'd like to be a, a guest co-host for the topic. Submitting your ideas helps John and Danielle relieve pressure on their brains so they can record more episodes. Go to becomingdm.com ideas today to submit your episode idea. Now let's get back to the show. In fact, why don't we go ahead and move over to um, <laughs> talking about when you should change the rules. Uh, and, and, and the, the f- first one is when rules as written just don't work for your game. Um, the, the example that I like, and I've, I've played in a, a game or two like this, is where maybe you're running a really, really gritty campaign and you, and you want to make it to where player choices have a significant impact on what goes on and death is a, is a huge reality. Um, so maybe you, you do away with death saves or, or make it to where they only get one death save. Um, to, if they lose one death save, they die, and they, they, but they have to make three death saves to, to survive. Whatever the, the case may be, you may decide, like, this, is, this needs to be a really gritty game. This re- really needs to be something that the players are, are afraid of, of what happens if they put themselves in the wrong situation, so I'm going to rip those out. Um, if that's the case... That's fine. Again, make sure your players are aware. But that's one of the reasons that you might might do it is if, if you've just got a, a setting that you're trying to elicit that the rules uh, that certain rules just don't don't uh, match up with. Mm-hmm. Or uh, maybe you have a section of your game that will focus heavy on role playing. And mm-hmm. you want to create a specific way that it'll be handled rather than rolling individual skill checks. Um, the only thing that I would like add on to this is I have, I have some people who play at the table who really don't like role playing. Um, so if you're adding in rules very specific to role playing, uh, you might want to have a chit chat with your players and, uh, make sure that you're not going to ruin somebody's experience. Yeah. And, and if that's the case and you're still looking to have some interesting role playing scenarios, you could still decide to have different rules as far as how, how things like persuasion are handled. Because right now it's kind of a contested role. Um, some people do it against the DC. I feel like maybe if you're, if you're really getting into something, but you've got people that are challenged with, with the, the actual acting or speaking side of the role play, you could have almost a phased approach to where you don't just, one role doesn't just convince somebody. Uh, you could have like stages where you get past and like, convince them and, and like almost a whole decision tree kind of thing. Again, I, I don't know specifically. Yep. I haven't made up I the th- rules I myself. I saw a but... chart like that once where yep. it was like different levels of, you know, this person hates you, this person dislikes you, this person mildly dislikes you, and you <laughs> had to pass a check to like adjust them up or down on the scale. Yeah. So if it works for your game and, and that's what you're going for, you could absolutely change the rules. These are just examples. I'm sure that that um, that there are plenty of other reasons why mm-hmm. why uh, the rules may not fit the type of game you're trying to play, um, and if that's the case, that that could be a good reason to look at look at changing those rules. Yeah, like you could have like very like there's going to be so many niche situations, and that's and that's 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 all of D and D. That's like what D and D is is niche situations, and that's why. At the beginning, that's why, in my opinion, at the beginning of the book, it says, "Hey, um, this is like this is like a framework. You need to add the meat to it because 
you know, the original writers of this book could have never fathomed the specific scenario where a severed nebulum wanted to, you know, dig a tunnel under a castle wall and bite people's ankles in the middle of the night. And it's like, what, what's, what's the hide check for that? I, I don't know. <laughs> we got to come up with something or like, can I just burst my hand through the stone? And, you know, you've, you've got all of these things that, that, uh, well, they're not going to happen in every campaign all the time. And there might not be a specific rule for it. It's like, I don't know how much, how hard do you need to punch a rock from underneath it? That's paved in to grab someone's ankle i don't know yeah I, I think that the the probably the number one reason why you might have to change rules are <laughs> the situations that your players create because <laughs> there is absolutely no way to predict everything that the players at your table are going to do as we've talked about in some of the improv episodes that we've done um just like having to create storylines, there could be chances where they're creating situations where where there are no rules. And yeah, you might just decide, hey, we're going to use a we're going to use a strength role for this and just just do that. But it may also be where it's something that that you can tell that they are going to continue to come back to, and <laughs> you need to set up something official so that it's not just like taking advantage of a good role that I have. Uh, one that I see come up a lot in um, in a lot of forums, probably every six months or so, is a player wants to um, has they have flight for whatever reason, and they want to fly over their enemy at like 120 feet up and drop a rock on them, and they're like, "Well, do I just do fall damage or do I do this?" And my question is like, "Well, how are you sure you're going to hit this person? Because there's all sorts of factors that go into that." So situations like that where it's not just a simple oh just roll a strength check um you you may find yourself having to create rules to match that situation especially if it's something that's going to repeatedly come up like if you've got a Mm -hmm. if you've got a person that that can fly that that finds out like oh i can be super deadly by going up 120 (laughs) feet and just dropping this rock super why wouldn't i do that yeah um (laughs) So you do need to, you do need to, you probably will need to, to create rules for those situations. Definitely. And a note on that is if you're trying to create this rule on the fly because your player has come up with something that, that you didn't foresee at all, like this, like this rock dropping example, um, take as much time as you need. Try not to take too much time, but take as much time as you need to think this out really well before you give your players an answer. Mm-hmm. And if you answer... Um, yes, you can do that, but you need to pass a 15 stealth check and they get really, really excited. Like (laughs) you might want to add a second role to that because they probably know something that you don't know. And you just made this really easy for them to do a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's important to note that, that when you're making a, a, um, a decision like this on the fly, my recommendation, and I do this anytime I have to do this, which is not a ton, but I've, I've had to do it on a couple of occasions. My recommendation is to make a rec- make your ruling at that point, but tell them, listen, we're going to come back to this after I've had some time to, to think about it and revise this rule. So this is not the end-all, be-all. It's going to change, but for right now, here's what we're going to do. 
Mm-hmm. That's a great thing to do when, when you don't know the rule, but you don't want to... Because you can derail the game. You can completely ruin like the whole flow of, of the session by the entire table devolving into a rules debate. Yep. It's much, much better to be able to be like, you know what? Um, since since you're the first the, you're the first person to ever come up with this, um, we're going to say that you can do it with this kind of check right now. Um, keep in mind, this is not a new rule. This is something that we're going to look at later. We'll have a discussion, but not right now. We'll keep the game going, and and you know you let them do it once. And I think I think that that's good though because it rewards people for coming up with novel ideas mm-hmm. um, when they if they can come up with the first in a line in a series of crazy, crazy ideas, then it's, it just swings, right? Right. Um, I think it could encourage that. Yeah, I mean, it, it does kind of reward them for their creativity, and by rewarding them for their creativity, it just means that they're going to want to do be more creative moving forward, which is what makes the game so much fun, is 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 having the creativity of your players and and kind of figuring out how how to deal with it and and figuring out how your creativity as a dm comes into play and it just kind of all meshes together to make make this thing that we call role-playing games i know it's beautiful isn't it (laughs) (laughs) um and and we've been talking about making rules where there isn't a rule but the, the same applies if there actually is a rule that you just don't know uh rather than derailing the game you can again make a make a um, off the cuff ruling. This is how we're going to do it right now. But but between now and the next session, I will look this up. I will find the official rule, and that's what we'll stick with, kind of thing. So mm-hmm. um, try not to do it very much. You should you should probably know the rules relatively well. Uh, but nobody memorizes every single thing in the dang book. That's just not possible. <laughs> no, I think yeah, it's. I mean, even when you're st- if you're starting out and you're a new DM and every person at your table is new, chances are everybody's going to be fumbling through the rules for, I don't know, my original group. I think it was like two years it took us before we kind of like settled into the rules. Um, but you could have somebody just read them all, know them all, and teach them all. Um, but it is something where if you are at a table with a lot of people it would or who have played before... Um, using the real rules can be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then if somebody is at your table and they didn't understand something that happened during the game um, and you ruled it correctly, they can go home, they can look at their book and be like, oh, this is why it happened like that. Mm-hmm. Plus, they might be able to like tie that to other things and start building that into how they're playing the game as they start to learn the rules more. I mean, D and D is a lot of rules to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not just it's not like Monopoly. Just roll the dice and do what the box says. And the banker tells you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think we've covered why you should uh, change some of the rules. Let's 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 jump into. Um, when we should consult our players. When do you think that is, Danielle? I would argue pretty much always. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, because, I mean, I have fun building the game. But as I said earlier, or you said, somebody said, if they're not having fun, um, I'm not going to get to do the thing that I like to do, which is run the game. Mm-hmm. So it it's not going to work if, if they don't like it. Plus, if you're not consulting your players... Um, they might not know what's happening. 
like in in our intro there if the dm if you're planning on changing the the fall damage so drastically or even just anything against the rules you really should tell your players that because that's going to impact their decisions if i'm a person like me as a human living on earth if i jump off of something right now i have a pretty good idea about how much that's going to hurt me yep and your players in the game would also have this sense of the world about them for general things it's like if i hop on that horse is it gonna you know what are the chances it's gonna buck me off what are the chances it's going to listen unbelievably well and just take me wherever i want to go because nobody wants to talk about it what are the chances it's gonna break in half Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i mean since we're talking about weird rules um (laughs) i feel like this episode has devolved into the falling episode all we talk about is falling all the time but that's okay (laughs) um now even though we're saying that you should consult your players most, if not all the time, when you change rules, that doesn't mean they have to agree. Uh, mm, if, yes. if, if you have a rule that, uh, that makes it difficult for someone to do something that really it should be difficult for them to do, and they're unhappy about it, well, sometimes you have to deal with reality. Uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, a lot of a lot of the consult of of the players is, hey, letting you know that this is how we're going to do it, so that you know what to expect. Sure, some of it is, some of it could be a player saying, well, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that, and this is why. And you should probably have these conversations offline, outside of the the game, so you don't derail the the game. But if somebody has a, a good reason why they think the rule should be different than what you've stated, hear them out. If it makes sense, then, I mean, what's it hurt to, to, to go that way if it makes more sense than what you decided? Mm-hmm. You, it, absolutely. And because we wanted to talk about falling all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as, as far as rules, like, you could be on a planet that has, like, five times gravity or something that causes this to happen. Right. And so if that's the setting that it is, your players really don't have to agree with the fact that gravity is more. Yeah. Uh, And and additionally, again, since we're on the falling falling train. (laughs) Another example. If if you feel and and I bet that you could probably make a convincing argument to your players that so that they would feel this as well that capping the damage at 20d6 is unrealistic and that you want there to be some sort of uh, point at which it's like going directly to death saves or something like that, you could make that, that argument because you could, I mean, f- with, with high-level high level characters, 20d6 is nothing. It's just That's like, really, oh, yeah. I, I'll, I was actually yeah. so surprised to read that. It's not that much. <laughs> so, and, and I've seen some discussion around, like, I want to change the fall rules for this. Um, I, I think it's reasonable to, to want to do that. Again, it, it's a matter of, is it really that important to your game? Are you going to have that many occasions where they're going to fall that distance? If so, maybe <laughs> it does require some visiting. But, but if not, then why waste your time on it? <laughs> yeah, it could just result in a lot of a lot of conversations and a lot of time spent not working on your actual campaign yep okay so i before we wrap up i think that there's some 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 things that 
we should discuss that I, I think any DM should really think about and ask themselves before they make a, a rule change. And the, the, the first big one that I like to cover is, is what you're doing a simple rule change or should you be looking at not playing D&D? And by not playing D&D, I don't mean not playing a role-playing game, but playing a different system. There are gobs and gobs of systems out there. And if, if D&D, if you are changing D&D so much that it is, that, that like it's almost all homebrew rules, maybe you need to look at a game that has the rules that, that do what you need it to for your game. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you can, if you can just switch to another game that does 90% of what you want, rather than changing 60% of the rules, why wouldn't you do that? (laughs) Exactly. Or conversely, if you can't go out and find a game that matches all of these new rules that you want, this new system essentially that you, you desire, um, you could just make your own. Like, like John said, there are a ton of systems out there. You could make one too. If, Literally every rule you have is basically different. You could jump on that train. Yep. But I, I think the the important thing is is if you do find yourself making a lot of rule changes, maybe look into what other systems are out there. Look into what other systems that you could build. Look on look into all of the options that are out there, just to make mm-hmm. sure that you're going down the right path. Because the uh, it nobody wants to be the person that's just writing rules all day every day at least i i don't i don't know about you <laughs> i think that's like supreme court judges or something like that uh, yeah okay yeah i, I guess so yeah <laughs> so, some people do but they might not play role playing games <laughs> yeah, maybe not <laughs> um i think another important <laughs> important question to ask yourself uh when you're about to change the rules is does the rule actually impact the gameplay mm yeah you know like are you putting in a ton of work, a ton of effort, or a ton of discussion time with your players about something that's really not going to come into play at all very often? You know, it's <clears throat> you shouldn't talk about stuff. You shouldn't give stuff more time and more weight than it deserves. Mm-hmm. So if your party is, I don't know, in the wind plane and you're discussing the interaction of horse hooves on dirt versus cobblestone, that might be a waste of time. Yeah. Um, and keep in mind how frequently it's going to happen. Because mm-hmm. so um, I in, in the Pathfinder game that I was, I'm running, my players ended up on this gigantic rock that was floating down a lava river. And everything that went into the lava river melted, except for these rocks. And they had to... Um, find a way to transport the lava over to something else, and there. And one of the players is like, "Oh, hey, I've got, I've got a hammer and some pythons. I want to see if I can make a ladle out of out of this rock." All right. So, I, I, I this was like the one time it was probably ever going to happen. But as a joke, I said, <laughs> "Okay, you now have a skill: crafting lava spoon." <laughs> and it wasn't any sort of rule. I just basically said, based upon this this stat, and I'll give you a plus two bonus on it because you've got proficiency, and because you've done it before. Um, it, it it was it was not really a, a rule change. It was just like an added flair for his character that he could have that, frankly, will never come into play again. Um, so I didn't want to spend a ton of time on 
building a rule for how to craft lava spoons. <laughs> you know, I'm the realm's leader in crafting lava spoons. You know? <laughs> and that's the fun stuff, though, right? Is because as your players interact with your game, um, it builds their characters, too. You know, everybody tells the story together. And if you're making a change or doing something, as long as it makes the game more fun for everyone... Or more enjoyable, I should say, is I don't know if fun's the right word, especially when some people like to play horror games, because mm-hmm. uh, that that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> that does it's not fu- equal it's fun it's in fun my for world. Them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't know. I just, I'm a very jumpy person. Um, but make the game more enjoyable. You know, if you're if all your rule implements are are not increasing the general joy, enjoyment, fun, um, general pleasure in playing. Uh, your tabletop role-playing game of choice, um, it might not be the right rule to change. Yeah, yeah, you, it should. Like, I, I agree. It should make the it should make the game f- more fun, or it should address something that is just broken with how you run your game. Um, uh, I think those are really kind of the two main reasons to to look at at changing rules. And if it doesn't pass the test on either of those, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Definitely. All right. Well, I think that is all we had for today. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We're really glad to be back. Uh, We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Promise we won't won't ghost you again. But uh, but again, if you've got ideas for for future episodes, we would love to hear it. Uh, contact us, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll put it into the rotation. Uh, but until then, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are Becoming DM. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.